Hey guys, Matt here. Before we begin this episode of Anthology, I just want to mention that we are currently running a contest where you can win a free Anthology t-shirt. The contest runs from now until January 1st, 2018. If you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, take a screenshot of the review, and email it to matt at obsessiveviewer.com with the subject line, Anthology T-Shirt Contest. On January 1st, I'll randomly select a winner from the entries, and we'll get a free T-shirt mailed to them. We'll be accepting entries until uh, until December 31st at midnight, so make sure you get the email in before then. Thank you guys for listening, and enjoy this episode of Anthology. You're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series as a first-time viewer, and then round out the show with with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows such as uh, Black Mirror, uh, Dimension 404, and the upcoming Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at obsessiveviewer, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you're interested in checking out more of my podcasting, check out obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing my, my thoughts on the lateness of the hour, which is the eighth episode of the Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on December 2nd, 1960. And for this week's bonus review, I'll share my thoughts on The Illustrated Man, a 1969 adaptation of a Ray Bradbury book directed by the lateness of the hours director, Jack Smite. But before I get to my review, I just want to mention that there was a bit of news um, that's relevant to this podcast. Um Back on the 20th of November, um, Amazon revealed that the launch date for its upcoming big-budget sci-fi uh, anthology show, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, uh, they announced that it's going to be launched uh, – it's going to launch all 10 episodes um, on January 12th. So that's pretty soon. Um We've got about a month and a half to go before that, so I'm really excited about it. The show is a co-production between Sony Television, um, Sony Pictures Television, and uh, I guess Channel Four. I think would be I, I'm not sure, but they it originally aired on Channel Four in the UK. Um, I believe they aired the first six episodes starting in September, and then they're going to be airing the other four episodes sometime next year. Um, And then January 12th is when the U.S. is going to get it on Amazon Prime, which Amazon Prime has a really good lineup anyway, so I'm I'm excited to to watch that and do a review series of it. Now, um, this I'm recording this on November 25th, and Amazon has announced that that's when they're that January 12th is when they're releasing Electric Dreams 
And we still do not have a release date for season four of Black Mirror on Netflix, which is troublesome to me because well, it's troublesome to me because I really want to make sure that there's no overlap with the bonus episode review series. So like I want to I want to review Black Mirror season four and then be able to review um Electric Dreams without them overlapping or without, you know, waiting months, uh, after it's released. So, um, hopefully, hopefully Netflix announces a release date for black mirror season four. They've been posting a ton of, uh, the past couple of days they've done, uh, individual episode promotions. Like, uh, as of this recording yesterday was black Friday and they, um, revealed a poster for, the episode titled Archangel. And then just today they released a um, trailer for that specific episode. And now I didn't watch the trailer cause I want to be kind of fresh, but um, I did, I did, wa- I did play the trailer and then I um, sped it up or fast forwarded it to the end just to see if there was any release date announced on it, but there wasn't. So given the frequency of that, for all I know, they could be doing like, a Friday and Saturday thing in the lead up to releasing it. So six episodes each week, that'd be six weeks from now. So they would be, this is all purely conjecture, but um, basically if they did that Friday and Saturday, uh, what is this? The 25th, we'd be looking at them ending this type of promotion, Friday and Saturday release of poster and, and, uh, and trailer it would end on December 30th. So maybe January 5th, we might have a released, uh, have it released, which I mean, I could deal with that. I don't know. But anyway, that's, we'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. But it's, it's just bothersome, bothersome to me that we're waiting for the release date for season four of Black Mirror. But I did read an article that was pretty, uh, it was kind of cute to, to, to read them compare black mirror to basically they were, they were saying that Philip K. Dick's electric dreams is like the, the outer limits to black mirrors, twilight zone, which I thought was a cute comparison. And, uh, maybe there's a, maybe there's a whole bonus episode to be had about black mirror comparing the black mirror to the twilight zone. But I don't know. I'm obviously not an authority on the twilight zone yet. So, I mean, we'll see, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, January 12th, I will start my bonus review series of Electric Dreams, and uh, it'll be on Amazon Prime, and that's super exciting. So, um, let's go on to my review of The Lateness of the Hour, and of course I'm going to be reading a plot description courtesy of Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr., and of course from here on out throughout this episode I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode. So if you haven't watched it yet, go check it out on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or anywhere else you get this particular show. Okay, and the plot description is as follows. Dr. William Lauren, a brilliant scientist, has designed a house with every perfect necessity, including robots that spend their time devoted to the comfort and relaxation of their masters. 
Jaina, their daughter, finds herself discontent with the lifestyles her parents have adopted. Isolated from the real world, Jaina has never experienced war or pestilence. Her father insists he is only protecting her from harm and disease. Threatening to leave so she can have her freedom, Jaina forces her father to make a decision, dismantle all of the servants or lose a daughter. Choosing to keep the daughter he loves, Dr. Lauren orders the servants downstairs for termination. Hours later, Jaina is extremely happy, suggesting the family go on vacation, and if Jaina is lucky, find the right man to get married find the right man and get married and have children. This proposal forces Dr. and Mrs. Lauren into a situation they hoped would never come, a truth she would not accept. Jaina is also one of Dr. Lauren's creations. Days later, with no servants left to serve their needs, Jaina's memory banks are wiped clean, and the daughter they once had was replaced with this has replaced the servants as the new maid. This episode stars Inger Stevens, making her second and final appearance on The Twilight Zone. She previously starred in The Hitchhiker as Nan Adams, and I'm sad to see this to be the last one, because I really enjoyed her um performance both in this and in the uh, the hitchhiker and uh, as dr lauren is john hoyt this is his first of two twilight zone episodes the next is will the real martian please stand up and he also appeared in one episode of serling's uh, series the loner and he was also in three episodes of the 1960s outer limits and he is one of the he's noted as being one of the very few actors to have to have appeared on both the original Star Trek series and the original Battle Battlestar Galactica series. So that's pretty interesting. And rounding out the cast as Mrs. Lauren is Irene Tedrow. This is his, this is her second and final Twilight Zone appearance uh, as well. She previously appeared in Walking Distance. And she also appeared uncredited in a, in a 1958 TV movie that was co-written by Serling titled Saddle in the Wind. And as far as other um, sci-fi anthology shows, she also appeared in one episode of One Step Beyond in 1960, and that episode was titled The Lovers. And writer for this episode was Rod Serling, and I couldn't find any trivia about the writing of the episode or anything that he said about um, about the creation of this particular episode. Director for this episode is Jack Smite, making his second of four directorial efforts in The Twilight Zone. He previously directed the episode The Lonely, and the next episode he'll be directing is here in a couple weeks. He's uh, We're going to cover The Night of the Meek. So going into my feelings about the lateness of the hour as a first-time viewer... Um, before going in, before seeing the episode for the first time, um, I really knew nothing about the episode. I just knew that the, I just knew the title. Um, and, uh, in my notes, it says the title makes me think it takes place at night. So wasn't, wasn't off about that. And, uh, I had seen whispers about it being the first episode that was shot on videotape. So in season two, they, um, uh, I believe it was the network that CBS had uh, ordered them to cut production costs a little bit. And they did an experiment where they filmed, I believe it was six episodes on tape instead of film um, as a cost cutting measure. And there were a couple benefits to that, or really, I think only really one benefit of it was that, uh, well, it was, first of all, it was cheaper, obviously. And second of all, they were able to edit it quickly. Um, as opposed to having to get film developed and, and everything, but it was at the detriment of the episode or of the quality, the visual quality of the, of the episodes, which I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and comment on that now. Um, 
you know, when I started the episode, um, granted, I'm, I'm watching them on DVD. They're not on, um, I'm not watching them on Blu-ray. I don't know how, how remastered they are in the Blu-rays, but watching it, like I immediately, I immediately noticed the downgrade in, in the quality, the visual quality of it. Um, I could definitely tell it was filmed or shot on tape and it just didn't have that, that same, um, sharpness as the other episodes that you would get from shooting on film. But I must say after about maybe five minutes into the episode, I I just kind of forgot about it or it didn't, it didn't detract my enjoyment of, or my, it didn't detract the, uh, the enjoyment of the episode. It just, it basically was just like, okay, well it doesn't look as, as clean as the other episodes, but I mean, it didn't affect the, my enjoyment of the performances or the story or anything like that. So I'm thankful that it was, that it's only going to be six episodes just because, I mean, with a show of this caliber, you kind of need, you know, a sharp visual quality to it. Um, but I mean, it, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, to be honest. So yeah, so the the episode opens with an exterior shot of a mansion with uh, rain and lightning effects. It it reminded me a lot of the beginning of the Howling Man a couple weeks ago with the uh, the shot of the the monastery with with the same kind of lighting effects. And I mean, I I like I, I think that it sets the tone really well. And just <laughs> I, I'm such a sucker for like lightning and and thunder and weather effects in, in shows. And this was, this was really uh, a good way to kind of uh, pull me in at the beginning. And I, I was kind of, I liked the mystery in the, in the beginning, like uh, Jaina going through the photo album and it's revealed at that point that she, uh, um, Nelda hasn't aged at all. So it was, that was an intriguing um, setup for the episode. And one thing that I noticed upon rewatching it also is that when Nelda is giving uh, Mrs. Lauren the back massage or, or massaging her, and she has these what Jaina refers to as animal grunts of pleasure, and I was kind of surprised, given that this aired in the in 1960, I was kind of surprised that they were able to get away with those types of sounds because honestly. I, it honestly sounds almost orgasmic. Like the, the pleasure, the there's like, there's such a uh, kind of a, it's an animal grunt of pleasure. (laughs) It's a very, very distinct sound that's coming from her. And it just sounds like it sounds almost, almost sexual, but not really like, it's not like, obviously it's not the point of it, but it's, it's, the the over exaggerated nature nature of it seems almost sexual in nature, and I'm surprised that it let that the censors let it slide. In that, uh, I don't know if that was the intention. I, I doubt it. Um, but it's it just that's that's what my mind kind of went to for that. And it, I, at that point, I was kind of wondering because at that point, I'm thinking like, okay, well, everything in this house is designed for a perfect life, and it made me wonder just what is this episode getting at? And at that point I'm also thinking like, Oh yeah, the video quality isn't that bad. Um, and then the kind of, the part that really hooked me into this episode or the, the part where I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm on board. Let's, let's do this was that Jaina was upset 
that they don't do anything as a family or they never leave. And I got the, the express, um, indication or the express idea that, uh, she is trapped there. And at that point I was, I was, I was hooked pretty, pretty well into the story at that point, but it also kind of felt like we had jumped into the second act of a story that was already in progress. And I don't mean that in a negative way because that can really just, if that hooks you the way that her, like the kind of revelation or the kind of subtle revelation that she's kind of trapped there and they never leave. Um, that just feels like, first of all, that kind of feels like the end to its own twilight zone episode. But also if that hooks you, then jumping into uh, the second act of a story in progress can, can be really, um, uh, really engaging and, and really kind of immerse you into the story, which I wouldn't say necessarily that, that it immersed me too much, but it did kind of feel like, okay, well, I kind of feel like there's more that could have been set up for it. Um, but it didn't detract from the actual enjoyment of it. And then when she is on the stairs and she's kind of, uh, she's, she's lamenting their situation, everything. She, I, I loved this scene where she threw where she threw the maid down the stairs. Um, I love that for a couple of reasons. One is that it's such a surprise, like it's such a kind of a shock. Like, oh my god, this this girl is unhinged. She's like in that split second, you think like, holy crap, she's. I mean, she's she's really kind of off her reservation, um, and then all, like just she's off the deep end and just because she threw someone down the stairs. Now then the second thing that I thought in that moment, and this is all taking place in just a very small window of time while watching this episode is that the, the, uh, the effect, I guess, or the, or the way that that scene was shot with her falling down the stairs, like you <laughs> watching that, like you feel the pain, like it looks incredibly painful. Um, um, both, taking into consideration the the look of the fall like i don't think there's any break there might be there might be a break um or a cut in the scene but it's it feels like seamless like it feels like it's it feels like a genuine like oh this person is falling down the stairs like it feels like a genuine stunt and not any anything that uh anything that's um no camera tricks or anything like that it just feels very very authentic um and so that just looks painful. And then we get the amazing kind of button to that, to that little, that little sequence when the maid just smiles and it is so, so creepy. Um, like that is such an unsettling thing. That's our, our reveal that this episode is that everything is not, not at all like it as it seems. And it also is the reveal that they're going to tell us exactly what's going on and we're going to get something even even more disturbing later on, but um, just the way she smiled is so so messed up, and it it kind of got under my skin a little bit in a good way. Um, so then we, we learn that it's that they're uh, machines, they're they're rob robots. Um, at this point, the, we're already kind of into the episode, and then we finally get Serling's narration at that point and i love i love the um the uh, description of it as a menagerie of machines I, I thought that was that was that's kind of a beautiful summation of what it is 
And so that's the revelation that, you know, this is a house full of robot servants that Dr. Lauren has perfected so that he and his wife and his daughter can have a perfect, carefree, shielded life from society and everything. Honestly, this entire setup uh, made me think of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, which uh, M. Night Shyamalan is is a bit... uh, it's it's tough. It's tough to be him. Um he's had he's had some some pretty bad movies and he's kind of become at one point he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes and then now he kind of turned it around with with Split and uh he's he's coming out with Glass in a year or so. But anyway, um the concept of this episode reminds me of of The Village for for a variety of reasons. And so just the um, knowledge that Jaina has of of what's going on, like she knows that all the servants are robots, of course. And there's a scene where um, I think it's, I think it's Mrs. Lauren is speaking to one of the servants or it might be Dr. Lauren. I don't remember, but that's not important, but they're speaking to one of the servants while Jaina is standing in front of them to, with her back to them. And she's just mouthing the entire interaction. And that's so interesting to me because it gave a sense of just how deeply rooted these routines are and just how like that small moment just really gives you the um, – that really brings home the severity of Jaina's situation and, and it kind of really puts you into her um, into her corner because she is being – so shielded and unsocialized and isolated that she's nothing. She has nothing positive in her life. Um, it is, it is turned everything sour and her parents cannot see that, um, or can't sympathize with that or, or don't sympathize with that. And at that point I was just, <laughs> I was thinking that this is, this is an infinitely, more interesting story than the mighty Casey, which is somewhat similar about robots and everything. Um, this was definitely a more interesting story, a better told story than mighty Casey. And I was very much, uh, definitely more interested in this one than, than, than that one. And when we get to the point where Jane is talking about, uh, there she's, they're arguing over, the situation and everything. And she's saying that she's unsocialized her, or she, uh, it's, it's more expanded upon that. She's, that she's isolated and unsocialized. It just made me a lot more interested in the episode. Um, and also it's not just like the Jaina show. It's, you get this, um, you get the very warped perspective of, Dr. Lauren and Mrs. Lauren, because the way that the doctor talks about his creations and talking about giving them, um, memory, memory tracks and saying that like, uh, this butcher was made for, made to be a butcher. Like this was his purpose. And they, they're happy doing that because that's what they're meant to do. And just the idea that he, it's this very interesting God complex that he has, that he has this kind of, uh, I guess a uh, way of revering his creations. Like he, he feels good about giving them something to live for or giving them a purpose. And it's such a, a fascinating kind of God complex that isn't explored in the episode fully, nor should it have been, but there's enough there that just really makes you 
it, it's very thought provoking in a very interesting way. Um, and then there's something to be said about just the fact that they're just really smothering and protective parents. Now, of course, at this point in the episode, we don't know that she's a robot, even though at this point is when I kind of was like, yeah, she's definitely a robot, <laughs> but it hasn't been revealed yet. And you just get this, um, you just get the impression that they're just smothering her and she's very like, she does not have her own she does not have any say in what her life is going to be or, or how her life is going to play out. And that is such a, a damning thing to do to someone that is such a depressing thing. Um, just the idea that, that they are exercising complete control over her. It's, it's kind of a disturbing thing. So on one hand you have the doctor being this godlike or having this God complex. And then he's, doing the same thing to her at which at this point we don't know that she's a robot, but just the idea that the, the concept of a man uh, so taken with his creations that he would um, impart that, that sense of control onto his offspring um, so that she is isolated and alone and unsocialized with, with society and everything is a disturbing thought. And then I I really love Inger Stevens's performance because the moment where she starts kind of pleading for her freedom and for a worthy life that is not lethargic and sedentary, um, it's such a fascinating way because she is she's acting out and it's almost it's kind of an interesting type of like rebellious phase for a child like she is acting out she's she's being not a child but she's being human. <laughs> she's being, she's being a very human person, which I think makes is what I'm jumping ahead a little bit, which I, I think that's what makes the, um, the twist so effective and so, um, so, so fascinating, uh, and thought, provo- thought provoking because she, throughout this entire episode, she is characterizing herself or she is, she's exercising her own, um, personality and free will like she is exhibiting characteristics of a of a genuine human being and that's just showing us exactly that these that these creatures should not be servants like they have their own agency and their own they they have their own thought and and personality and and humanity and soul really um it's just that's that's what makes it kind of brilliant um and then the all the robots kind of scold her in the hallway after that and i thought that was a pretty cool scene um it was kind of unsettling um it it didn't it didn't like scare me or frighten me i wasn't i wasn't really afraid for her safety or anything but just the idea of them maybe not in unison but just kind of coming together and and scolding her is is really uh got, got just a little bit under my skin. And at that point, at that point when I was like, yeah, I bet Jane is a robot too. (laughs) And it's just, this episode could have gone a completely different way too with like a robot uprising or anything. Cause, cause the doctor and his wife, they have created this completely dependent lifestyle. That's completely dependent on the servants. And they 
are they have become accustomed to this lifestyle style of being pampered and being taken care of and everything and i mean that that in isolation that alone is an interesting concept like who would who wouldn't want to create like do something like that to have someone pamper you and everything when you're when you're an older person like in your the doctor and his wife aren't like elderly per se but like who wouldn't want to just retire and just have everything kind of automated and and done for them but also in doing that they they hold so much power over them like this episode could have easily become like a robot uprising murdering the murdering the family kind of thing and then leaving but um fortunately it was more contained and everything so i i don't it didn't doesn't uh disappoint me at all but this could have that power is something that's kind of an undercurrent throughout most of the episode that you think like yes this could happen and it's very possible that it will happen at some point throughout the episode um but then she but then Jaina convinces him to uh take uh, to terminate all of them to to shut them all down and everything and then after that when she man when she says when she says that she's going to find she she might find a man and might have give them grandchildren and everything that was such a tense moment because you can see how um how hesitant her parents are uh, to reveal it. And you just get the sense of foreboding that they're about to tell her that she's a robot. And in that moment, I like my heart was just about to break for her. Cause that is such a, that is so um, tragic for her. And the fact that she was so enthusiastic about living her life and meeting someone uh, just makes it so heartbreaking. And when when she, when that comes to fruition or when that, when that comes to light for her, she has her freak out that I, Inger Stevens nailed that scene. I thought like when she, um, when she's screaming, I'm a machine, I'm a machine. And then, and then like she's pounding her hand on the railing on the banister and she's like, no pain, no pain. Like it's not even a complete sentence, because she's so upset and I, I love that like I loved that little injection of of um of just that into the breakdown of of her realization of what what she is and then she kind of ends it with saying like I can't even feel love and like that is just so so sad and and heartbreaking and then also it's something that isn't isn't stated in the episode or it isn't it isn't kind of um brought to light in the episode, but, um, I was left thinking like, not only did she, does she have this tragedy of her realizing that she's a robot and that she's not an actual real human being, despite feeling as though she is her entire life and she's had an entire life. Um, not only does she have that tragic moment, but this comes after she has orchestrated a small genocide, essentially of her own kind, with all the servants. And now she kind of has to live with that. Um, like she, like she knows what it's like to be a robot and to feel like she knows, she knows that she is a human being in like her, her heart essentially. Like, because she's been just blindsided by this, but she knows what it's like to be 
a machine and she knows what it's like to feel as though she's a human. And that knowledge, like having that knowledge after she has just destroyed an entire mansion's worth of, of servants that experience and feel the same things, presumably, um, that is such a heavy burden to carry. And that's such a tragic thing to add to, add to the crazy revelation that she herself is a machine. Um, and like I said, it's not like it's not stated. It's not brought up in the episode that I can think of, but that's just something that I was left with that just really put the hammer down on the, on the tragedy of the Jaina character. And then of course we get the amazing, amazing end shot of, um, <laughs> the end shot of her massaging Mrs. Lauren and after being reprogrammed into a servant, uh, because they can't bear to let their child go. And that just, that is just such a, uh, a morbid ending to this episode. Like in general, like overall, I thought that that was just a really great and compelling ending. Um, and then the first time I watched it, I kind of up until that point, I kind of felt like it was maybe a little bit middle of the road episode. And maybe it is. Maybe I'm, I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it isn't like a an incredible, like outstanding episode. But it has so much to it that you can really think about and ponder about that uh, that you, even if it's not really as as great as like monsters are due on maple street or or one of the other like more iconic episodes and 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 bigger episodes it still has a ton of things that you can really sit and reflect on and it's just it's it's a really uh, spectacular episode and and or uh, ending and really makes you uh really makes me appreciate the show more <laughs> Yeah, so so that's basically my review of uh, the lateness of the hour, and uh, I have a little bit of trivia here um, about it. And let's see. Um, so I'm I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot, or I'm kind of I'm kicking myself, I should say, because. Uh, <sighs> Because I realized way too late after I'd already rented the Illustrated Man on Google Play that I that's not I should have gone with uh, Blade Runner as my bonus review for the episode, um, and it kind of that leads me into a piece of trivia that um, this kind of the overall theme of, of robots with human memories and and human feelings is uh, very similar to. Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, and this episode actually predated that, that novel. And, uh, of course that novel was the basis for Blade Runner, which is exactly why this would have been a great opportunity to make that my bonus review, but that's neither here nor there. Um, as I said, this was one of the, one of six episodes that were shot on videotape. Let's see the next episode. They they were shot in production order, obviously, and then um, they were broadcast in different orders. I th believe that the next one is uh, Static, which is going to be later this season, or obviously later this season. Oh wait, no, that's not that. That was the second one that was shot. The next one to air is, I believe, the Night of the Meek. Did I even already say that in this episode? 
No, no, because that, that's just the next one that uh, Jack Smite directed. But anyway, yeah, the next episode that will be shot on tape that uh, I'll be reviewing is The Night of the Meek, and then the the whole truth is after that. Um, yeah, and that's really all of the trivia that I have um, for this episode. I, and kind of overall, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like kind of getting my thoughts out on it on the podcast really – uh, brings brings to home a lot of the qualities of this episode that I really enjoyed and really gives me a more uh, clear appreciation for the episode uh, than I did on my on my viewings of it so I'm glad that I have the podcast to to uh, to appreciate it more um, of course before we get to uh, the bonus review for this week uh, here's a highlight from a recent episode of Tower Junkies, which is a podcast covering Stephen King and the Dark Tower series that I host over at uh, TowerJunkiesPod.com. This this is a movie that I, I kind of I would like to see it remade and see mm-hmm. what somebody could do with it, and I think modern filming techniques could help it out quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm not trying to take anything away from what they did with this movie, right? Uh, with with the practical effects and everything, I. I enjoyed that part uh, quite a bit. And of course, you can find Tower Junkies on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at TowerJunkiesPod.com. And you can find more of my podcasting at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. Okay, so like I said, I regret this bonus review. I should have done Blade Runner even when, even while kind of talking out my feelings about the... Uh, um, the lateness of the hour, like in my head, I was thinking like, man, especially with the announcement of Jordan Peele's production company doing, um, doing a new version of the twilight zone, this would have been the perfect time to do a bonus review of get out. Um, I am seriously so mad at myself that I didn't, I didn't think of that or make that connection. But Anyway, the bonus review is The Illustrated Man. It's uh, a 1969 film uh, starring Rod Rod Steger. Steger. Um, And it is not that great. Um, Basically, the story is that this man that's covered in skin illustrations, not tattoos, skin illustrations, interacts with a man that he, uh, a traveler. So he tells him a story, uh, a couple stories, um, as they are traveling in the 19, I believe it's 1930. So, and also there's a whole thing with anytime the man looks at the, at the illustrations on the body, he sees a vision. So it's basically part of it is him telling a story. Part of it is is the man, uh, looking at the illustrations and, and, seeing a story essentially now i didn't go into this movie with the intent with the uh thought of disliking it i was excited about it because it's based on a ray bradbury book um i i appreciate a lot of the qualities of uh jack uh jack smite's uh direction in the two twilight zone episodes i've seen from him and uh the kind of concept of you know a guy covered in in tattoos or illustrations, I should say, um, is kind of compelling in its own right. And the idea that this that this movie is kind of a, in its own way, a, an anthology movie, even though the the stories are interconnected, they're still kind of standalone stories. I believe that the book, um, the Illustrated Man, is actually a collection of short stories. I th- I think, 
But anyway, um, the opening line even is a very um, ominous and, and interesting hook. Like it's a woman just saying, each person who tries to see beyond his own time must face questions to which there cannot yet be proven answers. And like that's an interesting kind of thesis statement for for the movie to bring us in. But my God, it's it's just there are so many problems with the movie that I – it was, it was really, it really tried my patience even early on. So, um, so the illustrated man is very much aggressive. Like he's a very aggressive, um, man. And that is definitely to the detriment of the, um, of the movie and of my, um, enjoyment of, of or potential enjoyment of this movie. So before I go on any further, let me actually read the plot description courtesy of IMDb because it is – it goes into some weird places. So according to IMDb, in 1930s, a psychotic drifter who's after the mystery woman who covered his whole body in illustrations that foresee distant future shows three of them, uh, the Velt, the Long Rain, and the Last Night of the World to a mesmerized traveler. Now, Rod Steger, his – his performance was really perplexing because they're like he and the, uh, the, the, uh, the mesmerized traveler is this guy named Will who is played by Robert Drevis. Um, so we've got essentially a, a two man play, um, in the frame story between Rod Steger and Robert uh, Drivis. So it's so bizarre because A, Rod Steger is really, really aggressive toward him. Like there was a point, like they're both swimming in a lake and unless I'm, unless I um, um, missed something, this is the first time that they're meeting. And then Rod Steger just kind of goes through the guy's things and he's like being just a like I thought one of my notes is, is he mugging the hitchhiker? I mean, God, he's just going through his stuff. It's weird. <laughs> and couple that with uh, uh, Drivis's performance. It's so bland and flat and uninspired. And it's it's like he's doing a, a um I don't know. I really don't. It, it's like he's just doing it's just it's like he's just reading the reading the lines. He is not emoting at all. And it feels just so stilted and and his performance feels so forced. And that like those two things went to really taking me out of the movie immediately. And then couple that with the kind of blocking and editing like it feels like really off. So like there's a dog for no goddamn reason that uh Rod Steger's character has and he in, he shows the dog to uh Will and then Will like there's like you see the dog run past the men and then there's a shot from the ground that shows Will staring directly at the the illustrated man and then he just says in a very flat tone like He's really cute. And it's like, you're not even looking at the guy. You're not even looking at the dog. Like it's in that, like that's an example of how the movie was 
shown throughout throughout how most of the scenes were were kind of filmed throughout the movie and it's just really really jarring and and uh really took me out of the movie and then we get kind of one thing that kind of tried to reel me back in was that we get a uh a scene where the illustrated man is telling him is telling will that like okay well have you seen this house uh with the sign that says skin illustrations I'm looking for this house and I can't find it. So it's, it's, that's interesting. Like, why is he looking for the house? That's, that's really, that's an interesting hook. The problem though, is that Rod Steger is really, really intense about it. And so much so that he's almost interrogating Will. And it's, and like, it's, it's so, um, forced and over the top that, like I have no idea why he was so intense about everything. Like a little bit of intensity in that moment could have been, it could have gone a long way to make you really um, interested in like his journey and what his, what he's going to be doing and everything. But when you just have this guy going to 11, it's like, it just doesn't, it just takes you away from it. So anyway, um, that's the frame story. (laughs) Um, You get, then uh some flashes of future events that are being um depicted through the illustrations and uh just that idea just made me think of moana and uh um but that's neither here nor there but um yeah the and the visions are interesting um there's there's a lot of like futuristic stuff i am such a sucker for kind of that quintessential 60s 70s science fiction um kind of set design where everything is clean and everything is like like their vision of the future is this white room with with futuristic like keypads and stuff and everyone's wearing like um like a a completely smooth like uh not silk but I don't even know how you would how you describe it, but like a single like uniform, uh, clothing and stuff. I'm like, I'm just such a sucker for that aesthetic in movies that I I was actually kind of more into those, those sequences than anything else. And I won't give away much. I won't give anything away, but I, by the end of this movie, by the, by the middle part of the second segment, um, the long rain, which has a bunch of astronauts looking for, spaceship or, or something. Um, they're stranded on a planet in the rain for seven days. Um, first of all, the costuming and then the effect of the rain is, is pretty, pretty interesting, but everything about their story and, and their, the kind of mystery around what they, what they, what they're doing and everything is so mediocre and uninteresting. And, it didn't, it didn't hook me. And like, I was falling asleep by the end of this movie. Then finally, the final like segment is interesting enough. Like the whole movie is kind of contingent on, uh, two characters relationships or relationship on screen. And I mean, they did fine, but it's just, it wasn't interesting enough to me. And like the stories are all kind of interconnected and it just, I just was struggling to, to keep my eyes open really. And by the end of the movie, I just really didn't, 
I didn't really understand a lot of what I what I saw like at the end of the at the end of the movie, and I didn't really care. I I just I was like, okay, this this movie is kind of a mess. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not it's not a terrible movie. And in fact, like the idea of um the the idea at the center of it could be an interesting vessel for um a more thought provoking adaptation or or a uh, a stronger adaptation, but just the execution that we got with this one is just really um, uninteresting. And I kind of skipped over that first segment. The first segment was actually pretty interesting. It was a futuristic story of uh, the two, the male and female lead um, and their children and kind of um, fretting over their children's mental health. And there's this, I likened it to the holodeck from Star Trek, but it's more like a transporter thing. I don't know, but they go to a different, uh, they get transport transported to a different setting essentially. And it's, it's interesting. That segment's really interesting, but for as interesting as it is, it did not save the movie for me. And it kind of just made me really wish that I would have committed to doing Blade Runner or get out. (laughs) Um, as a bonus review. So I can't really recommend seeing it. Um, it's, it's just interesting or it's not interesting. It's not even interesting. It's just, it's, it's kind of a forgettable, um, kind of sloppily made movie with some just absolutely horrendous acting from, uh, from the guy playing Will. Like there's a scene where, uh, at the early on when the illustrated man is telling him a story, and he is showing him the illustrations on his body. And then and then the guy playing Will just says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And my read of that sentence right now that you just heard is 1,000 times more emotion than he put into that read. Like, it was so bland and emotionless the way that he said it. It's like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And it's just very dry and flat. And it just bothered me so much. Um, it's yeah, it was, it, this movie was kind of a mess. I, by the way, rented it on Google play for, I think like three bucks. So if you're interested in checking it out, I'm sure it's on iTunes and, and, uh, Amazon as well, but I got it on Google play and, uh, yeah, I hope I, I at least got to talk about it on a podcast. Um, so that's the illustrated man. And that's, that's it for episode 41 of the, of, uh, anthology, uh, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. Now, um, again, if, uh, if you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And like I said, I do, I am running a promotion. So if you review, uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Send me a screenshot of it. You'll be entered in for a chance to win one of uh, my uh, anthology T-shirts that are available on tpublic.com. Um, already got um, one entry already, and it's a super nice uh, iTunes review. So thank you so much. Um, I believe it was Joe, yeah, for uh, writing that very nice review and entering the contest. So if you want to steal, (laughs) if you want to steal a shirt from him (laughs) or steal his chance for getting a shirt, yeah, it was Joseph, uh, did it. Um, 
then go ahead and leave a rating and review and and enter into the to the contest. Um, yeah, and and yeah, so uh, I I do just want to read his his review real quick. He says, uh, "Great show, five stars." It says Matt does a great job introducing anthology shows. He clearly has a love and passion for the material as he discovers it. His reviews are insightful for both the Twilight Zone and other shows. I discovered other shows like Dimension Four Hundred Four from him. His collaborations with others in the space are great too. So thank you so much, Joe. I really do appreciate that, and uh, and uh, you know. Um, good luck with the contest. Um, so I'm really excited to, to be able to give away these, uh, a shirt to one of, one of the listeners here. So, uh, again, you have until December 31st to get that in and, uh, I'll be selecting the winner on January 1st. So next week on the podcast, um, oh, and also you can donate to the podcast <laughs> through PayPal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or to become a recurring patron on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And that leads me into my um, announcement for next week. So next week on the podcast, I'm going to be, uh, just, I'm going to be reviewing the trouble with Templeton, which is episode nine of season two. And I'm, as I'm saying this out loud, I don't know if I said this on the last episode, I've been podcasting a lot this Thanksgiving weekend guys. Um, so the bonus review for next week's episode is going to be sunshine. Uh, Danny Boyle's 2007 criminally underrated science fiction space movie with Killian Murphy, uh, Chris Evans, Rose Byrne, um, a, a bunch of really talented people. Um, and I can't wait to, to review it for the podcast. Now, this is going to be a special review because it is a Patreon, um, selection. So, uh, relatively new listener, Robert, uh, selected the ten dollar um, Patreon uh, tier reward tier, which gives the uh, uh, supporter the chance to pick a bonus review for me to review on an upcoming episode. So I was delighted that he chose Sunshine because it is far and away one of my favorite movies, and I can't wait to talk about it. Now, since this is a special Patreon review. I am actually going to be reviewing the entire movie in a spoiler and non-spoiler section. So look for that next week when I review Trouble with Templeton. And uh, thank you once again to Robert for uh, supporting the show. And thanks again to Joe for writing that very nice review. And uh, thank you for listening because I really uh, can't do this without you guys. So, uh, yeah, so that'll be next week on the show. And I think that'll do it. I'm going to go have my family Thanksgiving uh, over my sister's and eat some turkey and uh, hopefully soothe my voice. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to anthologypod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on anthologypod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. 
If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.